The following program contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone! Welcome to Corn on the Macabre. I'm Katie Adkins. I'm Kelly Reed. And, um, doctors scare me. <laughs> like a lot. So this is on Dangerous Doctors. I personally have had a lot of issues with doctors throughout my life. Really? Like what? Well, where do I start? Uh, I guess I'll start when I was a wee lass. Um, no, when I was... First of all, we're going to start with me when I was nine, when they basically gave me, like, speed. <laughs> and it, like, ruined oh. my life. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, I was prescribed Adderall at a very, very young age, but I was too young to understand if a medication was causing me to have suicidal thoughts, depression, insomnia, and anorexia. I thought that oh I thought that I was just broken and that mm-hmm. this was the medicine I needed to fix those things. I didn't realize the medicine was causing those things because I was 10. Right. Like, how would you know? How would I know? How mm-hmm. would I know? Um, so, yeah, I uh, it took me four straight years of taking Adderall every single day to realize that I hated myself <laughs> so much. <laughs> but what made me not kill myself – sorry, that got really dark um, – was <laughs> – <laughs> I love what you say with a giant smile on your face. <laughs> what made me not kill myself was uh, two things. Summertime – and the promise of everyone on the planet saying, you're just a kid. It'll be better when you're older. And so I had this, like, vacant promise of how everything will be perfect when I'm older. But also, I was like, why am I normal during summer times? Because summer, I didn't take it. Oh. I only took it during the school year. It made me act in a way that I didn't perceive as myself. Imagine having, like, an invisible monster forcing you to act like a robot When you know in the inside you are a person and you have all of these wants and needs, but you can't bring yourself to, like, do anything about it. That's what it felt like. So was that because of the doctors prescribing the wrong stuff? Or was it just, okay. I should not have been on that much Adderall. And, like, I kept going into the doctors and they were like, she's fine. She's just a moody 12-year-old. She's fine. Like, whatever. Like, take her to therapy. I was like, oh. And then I had really bad acne in high school. I had really bad acne. I It was really gross. And so my mom took me to a dermatologist, and they gave me this magic pill. And they were like, take this pill forever, and you will never have acne again. And to a 15-year-old, that sounds great. That sounds like a yeah. great idea. And I was like, okay, I will take this pill until I'm an adult, and then maybe I will naturally stop producing so much acne and then be fine. Two years into taking this pill every day, I woke up one random morning. It was the first day of my junior year of high school, just feeling like my body was on fire. Everything hurt. And I had a fever of like 102. Whoa. And yeah, and safe to say I did not go to school that day. I did not go to school that week. The fever never died down. And so I was just in extreme pain and just had this horrible, horrible fever. All of my joints hurt. Like, my joints were killing me. And so my mom was like, what the fuck? My daughter, my 16-year-old daughter is dying randomly. Like, what the shit? So they took me to the doctor. She doesn't have a virus. She doesn't have the flu. 
And they were like, well, her joints hurt. Maybe she has arthritis. And they were like, and my mom goes, but she has a fever, a chronic fever. She has a, she wakes up every morning with a fever. That's not arthritis. I got tested for arthritis, came back negative. Then they were like, well, maybe she has lupus. Because these are all of the symptoms of lupus. Okay. And if you've ever watched the show House, it's never lupus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Lupus is not a common disease. I tested negative for that too. So then the doctors were telling my mom I was making it up and that I was lying. And my mom goes, that's impossible. You can't fake a fever. Like she feels hot. You take her temperature, it's like 100. Like she cannot be constantly faking a fever. That makes no sense. So Mm -hmm. then they were like, I don't know, maybe try new age medicine. Like I'm not kidding. This literally happened. And my mom took me to a fucking Chinese like new age doctor where they tried to give me like all of these herb pills. And they did, um, what's the thing with all the face and the needles in your face? Acupuncture? Yeah, they did acupuncture, which relieved zero pain, by the way. It was just annoying. And to an ADHD teenager who's just lying there fidgeting, it's like the worst experience ever. Nothing about it. Nothing about it. (laughs) No, you can't. It's like such an annoying procedure. I was just lying there like, this is relaxing. I hate this. Oh my gosh. So after um, I had stopped taking all medication at that point, the only thing I was allowed to take was Tylenol because the doctors could not figure out what was wrong with me. And after about, and all they gave me was pain meds. They just pushed pain meds on me. They were like, here's pain meds, here's pain meds. If I was older, they probably would have been like, I don't know, give her oxy. Like, (laughs) I was on a thousand, I forgot what pain meds I was on, but whatever it was, I was on a thousand milligrams of it a day. And that was just to subside the fever that didn't even get rid of the pain I was in. I was still in pain. And I woke up every morning like an old lady. Oh, my back. Like, arr. like I couldn't bend my hand further than, like, holding an apple. <laughs> it was a miserable fucking experience. My junior year was a literal miserable experience. Or at least the first semester. Holy shit. And, um, and I'm a teenager. And I'm wanting to go out and do teenager things. I'm wanting to, like, go hang out with friends. And I'm trying to fight through this pain to be normal. My mom at one point told me she was like I don't know how you keep going to school I would have given up a long time ago and been like we homeschooling now (laughs) she's like I don't know how you do this (laughs) so after four months of this incredible fever pain can fevers cause brain damage I feel like they can but whatever I think Um, they can definitely cause problems I don't know about brain damage though and if I didn't take my pain medications I was in literal hell like I couldn't move people had to help move me if I didn't take my pain meds in time it was Mm -hmm. terrifying I went to a sleepover once and forgot them and it was one of the worst nights of my life after four months the symptoms just went away and we were like how did this just go away I don't understand and so I was like well mom I'm breaking out my acne is breaking out again can I take that acne medication again And she was like, yeah, sure, because I hadn't been taking it this whole time. One pill. And within two hours of taking that one pill, I started having violent chills and my fever spiked and I just got sick all over again. And it turns out this pill that I had been taking for two years straight, every day for two years straight, was supposed to help my acne, was actually destroying all of the bacteria in my stomach 
causing me like severe digestive issues that I still have to deal with to this day. It killed all the probiotics in my body, basically, right? What was the name of this medicine? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's called tetracycline, and doctors hand it out like candy to people all day, every day. I remember there was one where um, it's an antibiotic, and a lot of doctors use it. And they, uh, no, no sane doctor, my doctor was a crazy person, no sane doctor would prescribe that medication for longer than seven days. Mm-hmm. And I was on it for two full years. The amount of damage that medicine did to my body was just astronomical. And it almost killed me. I actually did almost die. If I hadn't been taking the pain medication to subside my fever, my fever got up to 104 at one point. And it was just climbing. Mm. It was just climbing and climbing and climbing. It was absolutely insane. And so it's also called doxycycline. Doxycycline is the more common name. I had another doctor in my 20s fucking give me doxycycline. And she knew I was allergic to tetracycline. And knowing that tetracycline and doxycycline is the same thing, you learn like your first year of med school. It's like a very basic. It's just fucking frustrating. So after I told this whole huge long tale... Ah, doctors are so dumb. So obviously that dermatologist, in my mind, I was like, the dermatologist was just an idiot. I survived. I just won't take it anymore. I just have a very severe allergy to this antibiotic now. So I go to this other doctor in my 20s. She's this woman who has just decided that I am a crazy cocaine addict partier, and that's where all of my allergy problems come from. She kept telling me it was my lifestyle. What the hell? (laughs) Right? And I was like, I just have all these bad allergies. I cough every morning. I'm constantly spitting up mucus. Like, what's happening? This has been going on for a long time. Like, like all these, like, weird digestive issues. And she was like, um, have you considered your lifestyle? And, like, she was like, do you do drugs? Like, what are you putting up your nose? Jesus Christ. I was like, excuse me? The fuck? So Mm -hmm. I go to it. (laughs) I go to a throat nose ear doctor I tell him my whole sad story and he's like I am shocked you still see doctors at all (laughs) and he goes and I can tell you what's going on those two years of taking tetracycline has like completely destroyed your digestive system so that's why your stomach hurts when you eat food all the time and uh your your tonsils are necrotic and they need to be taken out And that's why you keep having throat problems. And I have a completely clogged up, I don't know, the the thing in your face that makes mucus. One of mine was completely hardened and clogged up. So, like, it just fucked up my sinuses. And he was like, that's what's wrong with you. I don't know why this woman is trying to tell you you have a cocaine problem. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I got my tonsils taken out. I got the thing all cleaned out. And I also had a deviated septum, and now I breathe a lot easier. (laughs) You knew me when I did the tonsil part. Yeah. Because I had the deviated septum fixed, which I had the option of getting a free nose job if I wanted, but I decided I like the little bump on my nose, so. I like the nose. I would have been sad if you had a nose job. Yeah, I, I think my nose is cute. The only thing I used to not like is there's this little, like, bump here at the top of the bridge. And I considered mm-hmm. getting rid of it, but I actually think it's kind of cute, so I kept it. Yeah, keep it. And that's my super long fuck doctors story. Fuck doctors. Well, Except uh, that one, that the, the note throws ear doctor, he was chill. I liked him. Oh, right. Yeah, the last one. The one who got it right. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. I can't say I've ever had any personal experience with doctors, but I will say one of my favorite podcasts I've ever listened to was Dr. Death. That shit is a wild ride. There's definitely parts of it where if you're squeamish, you might need to skip through it. My movie recommendation wasn't really. It was go listen to Dr. Death. Yeah. It's such Dr. a good Death. podcast. Oh, also the same people, not completely related, but um, the same people who did Dr. Death do this other podcast called Dirty John. So if you haven't listened to that one, that's also really good. I've been meaning uh, to listen to that one. Yeah, that one's really good too. It's the same people. Those are my only doctor experiences, I guess. I haven't really gone to the doctor that much, I guess. I was just a sick, sick baby. Again, my sad story. Oh, you're going to have to learn a lot about me, guys. Growing up, I was the dramatic kid. Shocking, I know. <laughs> and there was a, another dramatic kid in my neighborhood. I was the only dramatic kid. So a lot of times people like thought I was making up stories or lying just for the drama of it all. When really I was just very emotional and expressive <laughs> with a not very high pain tolerance. So mm -hmm. whenever I was like super sick, a lot of times people would be like, oh, she's just being dramatic. Oh, she's not actually sick. And it kind of got to me to where I was like, oh my God, I am being dramatic. I'm not actually sick. Like I just need to get over it. Everyone tells me to get over it. So I should. There's been many a time where I find myself to this day being like, oh, I'm probably just being dramatic. <laughs> and then years mm -hmm. later, I'll be like, I should have said something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to all of my fellow dramatic kids <laughs> growing up. Um, sorry, we all probably suffered the same thing of being told we're too over the top. I grew up uh, Irish, so it was always that shove it down, shove it deep, deep down. <laughs> I guess it was like the complete opposite. Your problems aren't real, you're 10. Sometimes if, you know what, believe it or not, if you're 10 and you're suicidal, you're still fucking suicidal. I don't care that yeah. you're 10. It's mind-blowing to some people, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had my first existential crisis in the fourth fucking grade. Like, shit. Like, kids go through emotions, dude. Mm -hmm. I was like, life is meaningless, and there's no point to this. Why am I here? <laughs> Only they have no idea how to process it. So sometimes it can even be worse. The worst part was is every single time I came so close to getting, like, mental health help as a kid, I took that as being defeated and refused to cooperate with any therapist I was taken to. Well, also, yeah, it's definitely ebbed now. I think therapy is a lot – there's a much better light on it now yeah. than it was then. But definitely at the time, it was like if you were seeing a therapist, something was wrong with you. I did a lot in my childhood that was just huge cries for help. And in the minute a teacher was like, okay, go to the counselor. I'd be like, but not the counselor, not the counselor. Like mm -hmm. that was the last place I wanted to go because that meant yeah. there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Whenever <laughs> I got sent to the counselor's office, I went during class. Like, and if I went to the counselor, all the kids would treat it like I was going to the principal's office. They're just like, ooh, you know? Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad that's changed. <laughs> At least I'm I hope it so, has. I, I'm so glad it's changed. But no, kids are still shitheads. Like... I guess I want to keep the privacy, so I'm going to change the names. So the little girl I know, Addie, who's 10, um, when she was 8, she's just a very eclectic child. But the kids on her bus when she switched schools in the third grade were fucking relentless. They moved to, like, a nicer, more suburban area. And mm -hmm. the kids literally took her backpack and cut a hole in the bottom of it. What? So that all of her stuff would fall out when she, like, stood up. Wow. Yeah. 
and, like, would do shit like that. And I'm just like, what the fuck? So, like, kids still fucking suck. Yeah, kids are little bits. (laughs) I was like, kids did a lot of fucked up shit when I grew up, but, like, none of them, like, damaged my property. Mm -hmm. I feel like in a lot of ways I've seen kids getting worse, but I don't know. Maybe it depends on where you are. Hopefully it doesn't stay like that. Yeah. Uh, I – yeah, maybe. I mean, to be fair, like, I've told you this, and I still think it's fucking weird how two girls in middle school, they were old enough to know better. These two girls who bullied me tried to fucking pee on me. Oh, yeah. Like, that's just a fetish at that point. What the fuck, you freaks? Like, Jesus. Mm I still yeah, don't get. I still don't get that. How they bragged to a whole school. Oh, we peed on Katie. Which, by the way, they did not successfully do it. They just lied and said they did. I got away. They're just fucking crazy bitches. I don't get it, man. I don't know why that's something you would brag about. If anybody told me that, I'd be like, "Why are you so gross?" <laughs> well, I had one friend who said that. One. Yeah. That's how pretty and popular they were. And rich. They were, like, stupid rich. It was disgusting. Enough about my sad childhood. Let's talk about doctors. (laughs) Talk about other doctors. Besides the ones that ruined my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Our own personal trauma and going to some different uh, (laughs) facets of it. So, um, let's see. Oh, I emailed you a list. I wanted to thank all of our current subscribers on Twitch as well as our patrons on Patreon. Okay, yeah, I see it. So I just want to be Good. like, thank you all so much. This is just the fact that anyone's here at all is like heartwarming because I literally did this <laughs> as an excuse to talk a lot, as I'm sure any regular listeners would realize that by now. Well, our newest <laughs> patron is Will, so thank you so much. And also we had, oh, our other newest patron is Aaron Samuelson. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I think that's it for new patrons but when it comes to new subscribers we have a long ass fucking list so like get the fuck ready (laughs) big thanks to the following we got ruben sandwich radian hamlet 423 imloria meloria or melora meloira eventually i'll get it right (laughs) some of these names i will warn you are a little difficult to say cloud said froggy baby uh, Gruels. I think Atlas. it's. I saw that one. I think it's Gur Rules, like from Invader Gur- Zim. Rules. Um, we got Atlas, Trabfisk, Aura on the Stampede, Kimmy Cub, Starscream. Oh hey, Transformers, Rusted Sun, Nereen. I think it's Nereen. Okay, Nereen. Stitches seventy six, Heroes Treasure, Robber Crab, Yellow Pikachu, OG Kitty Toes. Love that. Pottercron, Red Scorpio, Lunar Wolf Ranger, and Wax Halfling. Yay. Are you waxing the halfling? <laughs> do you wax <laughs> the halfling or are do you, you just are you the halfling? Like how do we do this? Do you are is it a bikini wax? Like what kind of I wax get it right. are we going? So I wanna say, first of all, the first thing on my list you're gonna love is Swifter than Taylor. Oh my god. I know. It's such a good name. Oh my god. And then we have Axel McFly, Princess Kelty, King Muffin. There's three eyes. Clonosaurus. I am Dragon. Lady Omni. Starlet Kappa. Cam loves you. Jortanos. Dabble Lord. Hicks 3791. Jolt PC. Odd Bunny Bot. 
a super average Jason, <laughs> Space Crunch, Expedition Fiction, Other Halfling. There's another halfling. There's another halfling. To the wax halfling. Thing. It's very exciting. Adobe Wizkid, Phantom Archangel, Joshua Simon Simmons, Joshua Simmons, Wonky Wheel, Odd Bunny. We have two bunnies. Laughing Underwater, Sarge, Anya Braddock, Rio 1999, Strike Red Kite, Buddha 57, Laughing V Rock. We have two laughings. Uh, <laughs> Yauka. I don't Yauka. know. I don't know how else to say it. It's Yauka. Um, <laughs> Made of Meat. Ultan Original. Kiwi Sanctuary. Violence. Just violence. That's their username is the word violence. Crime Dog 58. Zergrat DMD. Crystal Prism Cosplay. Hey. Omartheon. The World of Gwendana. Uh oh. Cheerios. JB Gubbins, Baby Fuzzy. <laughs> That's cute. The Lumble Humberjack. Okay, I, I think they're going for the Humble Lumberjack, but that was taken. So they're the Lumble Humberjack. I would argue that's better. It is, actually. <laughs> we have Omega Fusion, The Reluctant Hipster, eh? Kido Dark, Ronin Gelato, Nightcrawler, Andre Deberg, Axe 720, Chica Cheetah, New Lexican. DRock11, and High Five One. Yay! Thank you all so much for subscribing on Twitch. It means so much that you guys are all here, and I'm just like, whoa, what up? Holy crap. You don't have to be part of Patreon, but we do actually have merch out now, believe it or not. It's uh, t-shirts, which we have crop top t-shirts and normal t-shirts, and we also have uh, scarf face masks that say keep it creepy, and they're super cute, and I love them. And um, so if you want to become a patron, you can get a discount on those. I'm still trying to come out with the sand bla sand blasted glasses. I, of course, I'm making them myself, so it's going to take a while. And Dangerous Doctors. Yeah, Dangerous Docs. Dangerous Docs. We're back. What's up, Doc? Um, <laughs> so this was my topic, so I'm going to go first. Okay. I feel like I already did with my own personal sad fucking story, but <laughs> I didn't actually anticipate that to take forever to tell, but, you know, here There's we are. Um, so when I was doing my research, I was trying to figure out, like, what in modern science fucking scares the shit out of me, and I went with lobotomy, because lobotomy is just something that I can't believe was ever legal. Yeah. Like... The whole idea of it is terrifying. Yeah, and the fact that it happened, like during the 20th century is terrifying like who approved this like it wasn't like a medieval practice it was literally the 1930s like mm -hmm. what the actual fuck real quick sidebar um so i told brendan that we would be discussing this and i found this doctor that i almost covered who was like the euthanasia doctor Basically, that was like what he was called and he wanted to do experiments on inmates. Anyway, neither here nor there. But Brendan was telling me that there was this German doctor that came up with this, um, might not be German, my bad, but this guy who came up with a suicide coaster that was like, it goes up really high, drops you, and then you do big loops. So, and then get smaller as you go. So the G-force gets more intense. And then you experience some euphoria before you die. A suicide then, roller coaster? Yeah. 
yeah, for people who just wanted to commit suicide and just want to be over and done, they go on this roller coaster, they experience brief moment of euphoria and they pass away. And then the coaster stops, they take off the dead bodies, they put more people on and then the cycle continues. That's horrific and amazing. Like all at the right? same fucking time. I didn't know how to feel about it. I was like, I mean, if you're, if you really want a way out, I guess. I, well, that's I kind of cool. I would do, I would do it. Okay, I would do it if I was like, and this is what everyone would fucking say, but I would do it if I was like, you know, like when you're really old and in chronic pain and you're just like, fuck this mortal body. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or if, I also know if I ever was diagnosed with like uh, dementia or Alzheimer's, I would want that too. Because I think, I think it's really cruel and inhumane to, this is a very controversial topic, I'm sorry, hey, what's up? We like to talk about things that upset people, but (laughs) (laughs) I feel like when it comes to people, when they're diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia, they're losing their brain, you know? And I Mm -hmm. feel like they they learn this information about what they're suffering through before they fully lose the brain, typically. You get diagnosed with it beforehand. And I feel like while you're still, like, mentally sound, you should be able to make the decision for what happens to you when you're no longer mentally there. sound. Yeah. You should legally be able to do that. So, like, if well, you, you should be able to choose, make your own choices about your medical care. Right. It's kind of insane because there's some people who they don't have family and they live alone and they have no ties to them period, outside of their neighbors who get Alzheimer's or dementia and slowly lose their minds within their own home, and then they're just the state's problem? And they, like, die very slow and horrifically, like, either by an accident, like, maybe they accidentally ate too much glue that day, or maybe they slipped and fell and no one could come help, or, like, you know, that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just kind of like, if you know you're eventually going to get to some level I feel like there should be better precautions for how to deal with when that happens and here we are talking about lobotomies there's definitely still cruel practices I mean yeah I I was very upset to find out lobotomies are not outlawed like I thought they were they're not (laughs) no oh no no they're not outlawed but lobotomies of lobotomies how we know them today are very different lobotomies are now done technically with medicine and they're still just as cruel um there are drugs that you can give people that will essentially do the exact same thing as a lobotomy without the messiness of putting an ice pick in your brain that they prescribe that shit to people it's real fucked up it's just a less messy more humane quote-unquote humane way to do it so anyways this psycho named Walter Freeman, he's a fucking psycho, I uh, used the Journal of uh, Neurosurgery. It's the official journal of neurosurgery. It's been active since 1944. It's a solid, sound resource. Come fight me on it if you really want. So <laughs> anyways, uh, Walter Freeman, the second, is a celebrated physician and scientist when I personally think he should be viewed as a psycho serial killer because this man was insane. He developed what we know as the lobotomy or the ice pick treatment. 
or ice pick method. He uh, grew up in a very prominent family, influenced which influenced his decision to enter the medical field. His ancestors included physicians who were very famous and renowned within the medical field, were a huge part of the New Jersey Medical Society. And uh, Freeman's maternal grandfather, uh, William Williams Keene, someone named him William Williams Keene, was a pioneer in American neurological surgery. Uh, Keene served as a surgeon during the Civil War and performed the first resection of a primary brain tumor in the U.S. in 1897 and served as medical consultant to Presidents Grover Cleveland and Franklin D. Roosevelt. Freeman was known for his flair for showmanship. He basically just really wanted to be popular. He really wanted to be like, look at me, look at me, I'm so cool, look at what I can do, I'm just famous and brilliant and fantastic. And so he clashed with authority constantly, even at a young age, and throughout his medical career. He attended Yale University for his undergraduate education, and he created controversy after snapping a photograph of a midnight meeting of the Scroll and Key Society, which is one of the oldest secret societies at Yale. And he submitted this photograph to the New York Times, where it was published despite political and legal pressure from society members. So this guy just liked to fuck shit up for fun. Mm-hmm. He was really into fuck, fucking shit up. After graduating from Yale in 1916, he attended the University of Pennsylvania Medical School, where he worked with a man named William Spiller, Dr. Spiller's dedication to teaching and research contributed to Freeman's interest in neurology. Uh, Freeman completed his uh, neurology internship and residency at the University Hospital in Philadelphia, but his early experiences as an intern were unfulfilling. He felt he spent considerable time with uh, neurosurgeon Charles Frazier, whose controversial, oh my god, I swear I can't talk whose contributions to neurosurgery include the development of um, Gasserian ganglion uh, retroresection to treat uh, trigeminal neuralgia. Yay, I said those words. And advancing (laughs) neurosurgical strategies to treat um, intractable pain. Basically, Freeman thought this guy was hot shit. The end. So (laughs) Freeman's early clinical experience also provided the foundations for his a theatrical personality. For example, Freeman was assigned to treat a young man with a metal ring wrapped around his penis that he could not remove. So uh, Freeman, you know, he quickly removed the ring with forceps, and when the patient requested the ring back, Freeman told him that, no, they have to keep it as a surgical specimen. But what Freeman actually did was he repaired the ring engraved it with his family crest and wore the ring on a gold chain around his neck for years what the hell and he actually was known for keeping memorabilia related to each patient that he treated with a lobotomy later in life sounds a lot like serial killer tokens sounds like a lot like serial killer tokens like what the fuck yeah that's so weird wait well now i'm very curious i gotta know if there's like surgical people out there who keep like memorabilia from their medical conquests is that a thing i have never heard of that in my life i spent a solid hour trying to find what other memorabilia this man kept and i could not find it i could not find it well hopefully that means there isn't any to find (laughs) 
I mean, maybe this journal is inaccurate, but, like, why would they say that? Like, where did that come from? That's a weird thing to make up. It's a really weird thing to make up. And all the articles about him are just about lobotomies, and that's it. They're not about anything about him personally. And that's that was my main issue in researching him, was that I couldn't find articles about him as a person, which is what mm-hmm. I really wanted to find. Everything was just about, like, his practice. I was a little sad with that, but it's fine. It's fine. I believe it based off of this guy's fucking medical career because he's fucking crazy. He, mm-hmm. I mean, he shoves ice picks in people's brains. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, you can't be sane and do that. No, you, you fucking can't. So where the lobotomy thing came from, he technically invented the lobotomy but he didn't there was a brazilian man who created a lacotomy which is similar except instead of so the difference between a lobotomy and a lacotomy is lacotomy drills a hole in your head and then they have like direct access to the brain and can see it and like they fuck with it there you know they just poke it around a bunch no, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit more scientific than that. But um, a, 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 <laughs> it's a little bit more. But a lacotomy, a lacotomy is very similar to lobotomy in the sense that it requires to basically cut the head open to then have access to the brain to then do the surgery. Mm-hmm. Well, my favorite fact about Walter Freeman is he has zero, zero education in being a surgeon. He never went to school for being a surgeon, ever. He just studied other people who were surgeons and worked alongside other people who were surgeons. Where, how do they let you in? <laughs> I don't know. You're, his parents, his family was famous for being like world-renowned doctors. That'll like, get you oh, everywhere. Your family is real smart. You must be too. Derp, derp. That shit will get you everywhere. Like, it's stupid. Before he invented the lobotomy in his early career, he worked alongside this dude named James Watts, and he did a bunch of stuff at Georgetown University and whatnot, and he hosted popular weekend autopsies for his fucking students because he was a showman. He just had showmanship, and he wanted to be like, look at me, I'm so cool. Here, let me perform autopsies. <laughs> I, I just keep performing like a crab, just, or, or like a crab, like a clown, just pulling intestines out of the body, like, ah, it just keeps going. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was dark. That was really <laughs> fucking funny, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I fucking cannot. <laughs> But here's the best part. It frequented audience participation and theatrical demonstrations. So he might have done that. He actually might have done that. He's just doing bits like, I promise we'll get there soon. Oh my God. But his whole thing was that he wanted to do procedures the fastest. It was like a contest to him. Like who could who could do things the fastest? So he, then after becoming chairman of the Department of Neurology at Georgetown, of sorry, at George Washington University. Did I say Georgetown? No, no, no. He went to both Georgetown University and George Washington University. Oh, okay. He okay. Calculated. So I was still right. 
Um, but he became chairman of the Department of Neurology at George Washington University. He completed an MS and PhD in neuropathy at Georgetown, and he wrote one of the first comprehensive texts on neuropathology called Neuropathology, the Anatomical Foundation of Nervous Diseases. And in this text, he proposed that the structures of um, ganglionic cell nuclei differed in patients who died in manic versus depressive states. When discussing the text chapter on uh, neurosyphilis, he remarked, friends tell me that the chapter is still the best in the English language, and I agree with them. Like, this guy was just trying to, like, he was... Let's out of the ass. Yeah, like, this guy was all about, like, look how great I am. Ha, ha, ha. At George Washington University, his professional reputation continued to grow, and he gave oral presentations and arranged medical exhibits at many prestigious venues, including national meetings at the American Medical Association and the American Academy of Neurology. Woohoo! His exhibits often included film screenings and pathological specimens in ornate display cases to captivate his colleagues. He began dressing with a distinctive style. This man wore a wide-brimmed hat, a long goatee, round-rimmed glasses. He carried a cane, and he wore his famous engraved gold ring on a neck chain. The penis his ring. ring. His cock ring. Yeah, yeah, with his family fucking crest on it. His family crest cock ring. Woo! <laughs> yeah, so this guy was just all about just being the shit. So Freeman frequently corresponded with Igas Moniz, a Portuguese neurologist who pioneered the development of cerebral angiography and later won the Nobel Prize for his work on the development of the leucotomy. So the so Moniz literally won a Nobel Prize for a leucotomy, which is more or less the same thing of a lobotomy, but without the ice pick and with, you know, a more surgical procedure where you just kind more of... More legit. It's a little more legit, a little bit. It's still brutal. <laughs> I won't say too much, but what made the lobotomy barbaric as it is, we will get to. Yeah, so Moniz, he's a neurosurgeon. Uh, he performed the first lobotomy in 1936 and reported a case series of 20 patients who underwent the procedure for severe distortions of mood. So if you had mood swings, you could qualify for this procedure, which is terrifying. Yeah. And as a woman and having no say in your body or mind at the time, that is fucking terrifying. Again, I feel like we have to mention Sucker Punch. Yes! (laughs) Yes! <laughs> Actually, you know what? Fuck everything. Sucker Punch is my movie recommendation. Yeah. Watch Sucker Punch. It involves a lobotomy, and it's fucking depressing. Did you know that movie is how I learned what a lobotomy is? Same here. Glad we're all in the same boat. I was like, what the fuck are they doing? And then the... It's barbaric as oh. shit. Yeah. Moniz reported that following lobotomy, 35% of patients experienced complete relief of mental disturbance. Another 35 patients benefited from leucotomy but did not experience complete relief. And then the other 30% of patients just didn't improve at all. So that's, okay. that is like odds no one should want to take. Yeah. I'm looking for like a 95, 5% odds when I go into a medical procedure. Not a 35% chance of being fine. <laughs> 
Right, yeah. Like, that's very fucking low odds. Fast forward, Freeman is obsessed with this, and he's like, I want to do it. I want to do it too, but I want to, like, do it faster and and better, and that's that's it. That's what I want to do. I want to do it faster and better. That's what I'm about, because I'm Walter Freeman, and I have literally zero surgical education. Probably legally can't actually do surgery, but here we fucking are. He's like, we're doing this. He goes to his partner, who's this dude named Watts, and he's like, hey, we're gonna do this on a woman named Alice Hood Hamat, who was just a housewife with depression. Oh, baby, no. Yeah, she has insomnia and agitated depression, which the difference between agitated depression and depression is agitated depression, you have, like, physical tics. So, like, you, like, wring your hands or you'll, like, move around or you'll pace back and forth. It's where you're constantly fidgety. And she at first consented and then withdrew her consent the night before the operation because she was like, wait, I don't want my head shaved. And I know that you have to shave my head to drill holes into it to do this stuff. So I don't want to do it. And Freeman was like, oh, no, 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 no. We figured out a way to do it without shaving your head. And even on the day of operation, she continued to resist and said that she did not consent and did not want to do it. And instead, they decided they were going to do it on her anyways. And, so um, they just, like, strap her down? They use electroshock therapy to oh the patients to get them to not realize what's happening to them. Or they'll use general anesthesia. Um, For this particular patient, I'm pretty sure she was sedated, but for every other patient after that, they typically did uh, electroshock therapy, which is so fucked up. Watts provided neurosurgical expertise. So basically Watts was a neurosurgeon, but watched Freeman as he experimented on, on this woman and helped guide him surgically. And what they did was they drilled two holes on each side of the skull over the frontal lobes. There, there was an incision made where they um, basically took white matter out of her brain, which Uh, honestly is kind of at random. Okay, sure. (laughs) It was a wire loop uh, protruded from the bottom end of the uh, lichotomy when Freeman and Watts rotated the lichotomy, the loop excised a circular section of white matter. They lacerated a single vessel during the final core excision, but the patient's vital signs did not demonstrate distress. The wounds were washed with saline. Black silk sutures were used to seal the wounds, and the procedure was finished. So they did a lichotomy, not a lobotomy. She woke up happy and that she didn't mind that her head was shaved. And six days after the operation, she started experiencing language difficulties, disorientation, and agitation. But she returned home, and Freeman just considered that a success. Okay. She died five years later, and mm-hmm. no one has come out to say whether or not the, lobo- the lichotomy was, that, was associated yeah. with that. But no one will say it wasn't. <laughs> so that's cool. Nor deny. So his reputation grew because of this great success, and that's when he decided he wanted to find a quicker, faster way to do the procedure. And that's when he started getting dead bodies to experiment on to find a quicker way to the brain without cutting holes into the skull. He figured out the best way to do it was through the eye hole socket. And that's when he started using an ice pick to fucking shove in people's brains. 
After his early quote-unquote successes of performing frontal lobotomies, he started using a mallet to tap an ice pick in through the orbital roof and following penetration of the orbital roof. It's called an orbitoclost, but let's be real, it's a fucking ice pick. Right. <laughs> he would sweep it laterally to obliterate frontal lobe tissue. He would just fuck up the front of your brain. He'd just fuck the whole thing up with a fucking ice pick and a mallet. Because this is what modern science is. Like, am I right? (laughs) Even more horrifying is how many people he did this on. The number changes depending on where you look, but he absolutely performed at least uh, 2,500 lobotomies. About 500 of those patients died. Jeez. So he killed about 500 people. So they died right away. Oh, yeah. Like, they bled out. Like, he fucked them up. Like, they died. So, well, I guess what I'm getting at is if it's 2,500 of them, 500 of them died on site, and then we don't know if the rest of them died later. Mm-hmm. Oh, a lot of them became vegetables. Okay. So they might as well have been dead. Right. One of those, most famously, was John F. Kennedy's sister. And that's when the decline of this practice really started coming out in the media. He just happened to fuck up on the wrong famous person because it was before John F. Kennedy was president. So Mm -hmm. they weren't, like, as famous as they are yet. But she was given a lobotomy in 1941 with the consent of her father, and she became a vegetable for the rest of her life. Wow. Yup. It was, ugh, but this guy's a fucking psycho. And apparently he kept a trophy from all of his fucking lobotomy people, which means he has, like, 2,000 fucking trophies. Well, that answers that question. We were wondering if he kept more, and I guess that's it. I mean, yeah. See, this is... This is the thing. He's a serial killer with some kind of license. So we're like not this gonna... guy was just crazy. Like he's straight up. At one point he was saying, oh, only 14% of my patients die. And I'm like, well, if at that point he had done this to 200 people, 14% of 200 is still 28 people. 28 people died. That's that's still a lot of fucking people. That's more than some serial killers. Yeah, like, it's kind of fucking stupid that they let him do this ever at all. I just can't fucking believe it. And he would tour across the country and visit hospitals as, like, a fucking celebrity performing these lobotomies. And sometimes he'd show off. He'd show off and put two picks in the eye and just, like, fuck around. And, like, he acted like he was a fucking actor on stage. Like, it was disgusting. He's just, like, a legal, like, murderer. It's just fucking crazy. And so, obviously, eventually, inconsistent outcomes contributed to a huge negative public view. And Rosemary Kennedy, obviously, being a huge, you know, part of that. One of the nurses who actually was present for Miss Kennedy's uh, lobotomy, she was so horrified by the procedure done by Freeman that she left the medical profession entirely. Like, it was that barbaric. And, of course, there is tons of, like, plays and books and movies that came out over the years that, like, really show the dark side of what a lobotomy really is. There's a Tennessee Williams play that uh, debuted on Broadway in 1958 called Suddenly Last Summer. It was a depiction of mental health institutions and psychosurgery, how it just, like, fucks people up. And uh, his sister, Rose Williams, was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia as a young girl and was lobotomized 
she was unable to function independently after the operation, which is which is just a fancy way of saying she's pretty much a vegetable. She got vegetized. Yep, and she spent her entire life institutionalized. A lot of people who got lobotomies spent their entire life institutionalized one way or another. Like, say they didn't become a vegetable. Like, maybe they just, you know, became paralyzed in certain ways or they just, like, literally couldn't function and, like, could feed and, like... Like, they basically... A lot of people became, like, a five-year-old forever. Like, they're technically mm. happy. And so he called these a success because they're technically not suffering from the depression or whatever psychosis they had before. Like it's they have a whole other set of problems now. <laughs> yeah, but he would but he would do this and they would basically be like forever 5 and be like, "Well, that's a success. Mm-hmm. They're not suffering from depression anymore." Also, I don't know, did you ever read the book The Bell Jar? I didn't. Okay, I actually really liked that book. I read it in high school. It was a required reading that I actually ended up being like, oh, I actually like this. But The Bell Jar came out in 1963, and the novel follows a young, intelligent woman with steadily worsening depression who eventually receives um, electroconvulsive therapy. And during her stay at a mental institution, she encounters a woman who had undergone a lobotomy and whose face carries an expression of quote-unquote perpetual marble calm and the lobotomized woman explains that she was angry and belligerent but after her procedure she is at peace with living within the confines of the institution and despite the lobotomy's apparent quote-unquote success Plath characterizes the patient as defeated and stripped of vitality and spirit. It basically makes you a zombie. And there's a lot of really creepy before and after lobotomy photos taken where people just become zombies. It's just a quick way to, like, make women and aggressive people all of a sudden just pleasant to be around. It's disgusting. And then the, you know, the movie, uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack Nicholson. Have you seen that movie? I haven't seen all of it. Just bits and pieces. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, it's really good. But Jack Nicholson's character in it, he, like, you know, is all about rebellion within the institution. And he encourages other patients to, like, you know, just fuck it. Do what you want. Seek pleasure. Like, who fucking cares? You're in an institution. And he gets involuntarily lobotomized. And he just comes back with, like, a blank expression on his face and scars on his forehead like he's not who he is anymore right they took away who he is as a person yeah and it's really fucking creepy but yeah this practice isn't fucking outlawed it's just not really done anymore but this shit should be outlawed this is disgusting yeah that's crazy i can't imagine any place doing that but that's the history of the fucking lobotomy sorry about all of my fucked up side rants okay so first of all i came across a lot of different stories before i landed on this dude i have to tell you this part it's absolutely mind-blowing there's a guy who was like called the abortionist doctor he would do abortions for like immigrants and uh, minorities and impoverished women who couldn't afford to go somewhere else and were doing it later than was legally allowed and women would die or have complications, obviously. But when they raided his place, they found women on recliners covered in blood, just like moaning in pain. They found fetuses in milk jugs and orange juice jugs. 
and oh, what was the last thing? Oh, and then they said that they would literally behead fetuses that were like babies that it, they did it super late term and they just snipped their necks. It's fucking wild. Like they were babies that they, they did the abortion and because it was so late term, they snipped the neck, but it was like a, a formed baby. baby. Yeah. Oh my God. Anyway, I had to mention that guy because I was just like blown away by it. Anyway, yeah, no, that's crazy. On, yeah, it's fucking wild. But who I landed on has a fucking story. And the fact that this isn't like a movie already or he isn't already well known, at least not to me. I'd never heard about this guy until I was doing this research. But this is a fucking wild ride. So buckle the fuck up. I'm so excited to tell you about this because you're going to find it just as crazy as I do. I'm strapped in. I'm fucking ready to go. I still have drink left, which means, wow, I had a lot of drink to begin with. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. No, this is the perfect wine story because it's only going to escalate just how fucking insane all this is. Okay, so there's this guy. His name is Mar Marcel Petschi, which I went and looked up the pronunciations of all this shit so I could tell it to you <laughs> accurately. Okay, so Marcel Petschi. He was an extremely intelligent child, but even at a young age, he already exhibited severe behavioral problems in school and was eventually like expelled several times before he ever graduated. At age 17, he was arrested for mail theft, but was released after a judge determined that he was mentally unfit to stand trial. That's just a weird crime. Yeah. Which, by the way, later on, it's kind of unrelated and I didn't include it but I, I'll just throw it in there. Later, he was sent to an institution and uh, diagnosed with chronic kleptomaniatism. He was just super addicted to stealing shit. Wait, this man's a doctor? Hang on, oh girl, wait. <laughs> this, is just, this is so good. Okay, so at 17, he's arrested for mail theft, right? He's released because he's mentally unfit to stand trial. In 1917, as you do, he gets thrown into the French army during World War I. Um, he was tried for stealing army blankets this time, but was found not guilty by reason of insanity. So we got, that's two documented cases of people saying this guy's mentally unstable. Um, and even though his mental state was already documented to be in question, he was returned to the front line of World War I, where he suffered a mental breakdown. Um, he was eventually discharged from the army for abnormal behavior and the people who examined him recommended he should be institutionalized. So anyway, he obtains a medical degree in 1921. <laughs> After the war, he entered the accelerated education program intended for war veterans and completed his medical school in eight months and becomes an intern at a mental hospital. So this guy is already off the charts. Is he just what loaded? How does he, how is he doing this? He was a veteran, so they were just like, oh, you're you're a vet. Let's just accelerate you through your education. You only need eight months to be a doctor. I don't know how this shit worked. 1921 was a crazy time, obviously. But eventually, he establishes a practice um, in a town called Villeneuve, or Villeneuve, sorry, where he becomes a popular figure. But he also gained a reputation in other ways because while working in Villeneuve, he became known for dubious medical practices, such as supplying narcotics, which he was also taking, performing illegal abortions, and petty theft, which 
he already has a record of. Pachu's first suspected murder victim was in Villeneuve, and it's suspected to be this woman named Louise Delavue, who was an elderly patient's daughter who he had an affair with in 1926. Delavue disappeared in May of that year, and neighbors later said that they had seen Pachu load a truck or sorry, load something into the trunk of his car that they suspected to be her body. Police investigated, but they dismissed her case as a runaway. They're just like, nah, it's, it's chill, I guess. But that same year, Pachu ran for mayor of Villeneuve, and he won. Oh, <laughs> Yeah! Which some people say he won because he hired somebody just to disrupt a political debate with his opponent. So he basically sabotaged it, which is really the only way that this makes sense to me. Because what the fuck? You are well known for illegal practices and drugs and narcotics and possibly a murder. And then you win mayor. Have you seen our current president? Okay, so that's what I was getting to. (laughs) That's what I was getting to. Because keep in mind, this man is a doctor and now a mayor despite several sources claiming he's mentally unstable. So I guess not that much has changed. I think this just proves that like we as humanity, just we're not good at it. We're not good at being alive and we're not good at being people. Yeah, we're not we're not not good at this whole society thing. We should go back to our caves where we came from because clearly that's all we fucking know. I agree. We'll just pound rocks with our clubs and it'll be a great time i i just don't get it i'm like how 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 people come on i have no idea anyway so he was mayor for four years until he was suspended for four months in 1930 after being convicted of fraud for embezzling town funds while he was in office i bet he did yeah he fucking did Mm-hmm. But he was only suspended for four months. So he goes back. Um, the, prefe- the prefect of Villeneuve received many complaints about his thefts and his shady financial deals. And eventually he was suspended as mayor in August 1931 and he resigned. However, Pachu still had many supporters and the village council resigned in solidarity with him. They- they're like, you're going to get rid of Pachu. We're going to. And they just dipped. Kind of yeah. charisma does this man hold? The crazy kind, apparently. Um, but five weeks later, on the 18th of October, he was elected as a counselor of Villeneuve. Who the fuck is um, voting? I don't know. I get that. Like, I'm, monarchs are starting to make a lot more sense to me because it's yeah. like we clearly are really bad at appointing leaders. <laughs> At least in monarchy, they've been trained their whole lives, I guess. I, don't I mean, know. I guess we're just going to go on the blind faith of, like, your lineage and bloodline. But at this rate, like, fuck. It might be better. It might yeah. be better. Like, it, like, it might, like, maybe they had something going there. So, elected counselor. Then in 1932, he's accused of stealing electricity from the village. And so he lost his council seat. But by this point, he had already moved to Paris. And in Paris... Petschu attracted patients with fake credentials and built an impressive reputation for his practice at 66. So full life, am I right? Um, However, there were still rumors of illegal abortions and excessive prescriptions for addictive remedies. Um, And then in 1936, Petschu was granted the authority to write death certificates. 
So this is only heading in the right direction. Am I just like lazy? Like what? <laughs> How these people achieve crazy so much? I guess I'm just not like insane enough, which is like, like fuck. Like now I kind of wish I was like in a weird way, like not like harming people way, but in like a like a Kanye way. Like they're just fucking nuts, but like. People keep fucking following them. Well, also consider the times. I mean, you know, this is all word of mouth. Yeah. He also was a man. And during that time, no woman would have gotten that same notoriety. So he's a white man. He's a veteran. So he has steps ahead. It's crazy how veterans were treated so differently back then. Yeah. Uh, Now they're just discarded. This is in France, keep in mind, too. It's true. It's not the American system. It's the French system, so... I mean, France right. has had a buck wild history, so it really it's it's kind of nice to know that we're not the only ones who've had fuck ups along the way. We're right? just still <laughs> fucked up, is the issue. So during World War II, Pichu concocted a scheme to increase his wealth at the expense of Jews wishing to escape from the Nazi-occupied France. Wow, fuck this guy. Yeah, so this is where shit really gets crazy. I just had to give you all the background leading up to this because how he's even in this position blows my mind. Anyway, here's the star of the event. So he decides he's going to make money at the expense of Jews trying to escape from Nazi-occupied France. Under the code name Dr. Eugene, Pachu pretended to have a means of getting people that were wanted by the Germans or by the bitchy government um, to safety outside of France. Um, He claimed that he could arrange a passage to Argentina or elsewhere in South America through Portugal for a price of 25,000 francs, which I'm just going to quick convert that. So that's like almost $27,000. Francs according to what year? Wow. He's like, give me 25,000 francs. And I'll get you to Argentina or South America. He had three accomplices, uh, three accomplices who would find people, like find victims that were trying to escape. They would find Jews and they would point them in the direction of Dr. Eugene. That's how he was getting his patients, I guess. But this list included Jews, resistant fighters, and ordinary criminals. And once victims were in his control, Pichu told them that Argentine officials required all entrants to the country to be inoculated against disease. So they had to have these injections in order to be allowed to go into the country. And so, of course, they're just like, yeah, okay, get me the fuck out of here. So he injects them with cyanide. He then takes all of their valuables and disposes of their bodies. And at first, he's dumping the the bodies into the Sien River, but he later starts destroying the bodies by submerging them in quicklime or incinerating them. (laughs) So this man just straight up was like, fuck it. I'm a serial killer now. We're killing these bitches and stealing their shit. Yeah. (gasps) He's like, I'm just going to prey on these people who are already in a bad spot because I know they're going to give me whatever money they have to get out of this situation. And instead, I'm just going to kill them and take their things. Y'all, I'm seeing a very thin line between doctors and serial killers. What? Yeah, dude. Yeah. (laughs) This just shows what the path of petty theft can lead to. Now submerging them in quicklime or incinerating them, which, by the way, you know what quicklime is, right? I don't. 
Okay, so he's basically disintegrating these people with acid. Oh, okay. I, I have heard of quicklime, but I wasn't 100% sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's okay. a way more scientific way of describing that, but that's basically what, he, what he's it, doing. It's uh, acid. Got yeah. it. Think like Walter White in Breaking Bad. Or H.H. Um, H. Holmes in Chicago in yeah. real life. Exactly. <laughs> he had the acid vats in at the bottom <laughs> of his hotel. <laughs> Oh, man. Which he was on this list, too. I don't know how. But anyway. Oh, he's a doctor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He showed up and I was like, hey, I know this. Serial killers and doctors apparently have a lot in common. 1941. Pachu buys a house at 21 Rue Le Square and starts using his soundproof basement to run this little service of his. But even though he's killing these poor people, he was suspected of aiding Jews with real medicine and was arrested in 1943 by the German Gestapo because they think he's actually helping these people out of the country. I mean, the Nazis should have given him a fucking medal. Like, right? <laughs> the fuck? Okay, but he's also just, like, killing Germans, too. It's not just, like, the Jewish people. It's criminals and Germans. It's, like, he has a vendetta against Germans because they're occupying France. And so he's killing all these people. So, Got but it. the main reason that the German Gestapo went after him was because they thought that they were aiding them in escaping because that's what he's advertising. He has three people out there telling people, hey, this guy's going to get you out of the country. And he's not sly about it. He's not like being real slick and trying to get away with it. He's just a dumbass and he's sending people out on the streets being loud as fuck about it. So, so he's not anti Semitic, he's anti German. Right. Which means right. he is in the Nazi eyes anti-nazi because they occupied france right okay well that the arrest makes sense then yes here's the thing though he gets arrested and so do his accomplices pachu gets let go after several months of interrogation and he's let go however his three accomplices are tortured because they're trying to get resistance names like the names of the leaders involved in the resistance that they think Pachu is associated with they're trying to get the names out of them oh, no. and they're not part of the resistance at all they're just they assholes names to give they're just getting tortured why did they like, let Pachu go what the fuck is this nonsense I don't know I, he's apparently very charming but his fucking accomplices are fucking tortured some of them to death because they aren't giving the names of the these resistance people that they have no idea who they are because they're not associated in any way, shape, or form. Oh my God. How does this guy get caught? Well, on March 11th in 1944, Pachu's neighbors, they start complaining to the police about a foul stench in the area and large amounts of smoke billowing from the chimney in the house. So it's like it's shit straight out of Sweeney Todd. Like he's burning people in his basement and the smoke and smell of corpses is what calls the police to this house. Of course, they're not even thinking like, oh, he's burning bodies down there. They think it's a chimney fire. And the police summon firemen who enter the house and find a roaring fire and a coal stove in the basement. And in the fire and scattered throughout the basement were just tons of human remains. In addition to those found in his basement, human remains were also found in a quick lime pit in his backyard and in a canvas bag. Inside his home, there were enough body parts to account for at least 10 victims. Holy also shit. scattered throughout his property were suitcases, clothing, and assorted properties of all the people that he's killed. Obviously, they find all this shit out and the media goes buck wild. It's just a fucking circus and they dub him Dr. Satan. 
during the intervening seven months, it's not over yet. Because they go to his home. He's not there when they find all this shit. He just has a new lovely nickname. During the next seven months, Pachu hid with his friends, <laughs> claiming that the Gestapo wanted him because he had killed Germans and informers. So he's just lying to people. He's like, they're out for me because I'm helping the French people. And he eventually moves in with a patient of his, like an older patient of his. He lets his beard grow, and then he adopts various aliases. During the liberation of Paris in 1944, same year, Pachu adopted the name Henry Valeri and joins the French forces of the interior in the uprising. And he becomes a captain in charge of counterespionage and prisoner interrogations. Crazy person. <laughs> I just want to meet these fucking people to be like, what is it about what is it about you that makes everyone obsessed with you and want to trust you? What is it? I don't get it. I have I think I've met maybe like one person total who I feel like could do this shit. Like, this is nuts. Is it the person that I think you're thinking yes, of? Yes, it is. Oh, no! <laughs> it fucking is. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like, I can't think of anyone else who can so seamlessly trick so many people and then move on to the next group and then move on to the next group. Like, it's just, what the fuck? Yeah, well, he's a fucking master at it. This fucking Henry Valeri now. The newspaper Resistance publishes an article about Pechu, you know, about all the bodies that were found and everything else. Like, while he's on the run, this thing comes out while he's working with the French forces of the interior, which is part of the resistance. Um, and he gets offended after he reads this article. <laughs> so he sends his defense attorney from 1942 narcotics case, he sends him a letter in which he claims that the published allegations were lies. Like, yeah, that's a great way to stand, stay in hiding, right? Is you read an article about yourself that offends you because you've gotten caught. And he's like, no, it's lies. I have to tell someone. So he sends a, a letter to his old attorney. Murderers are and fascinating I'm creatures. Like, what it's the insane fuck? To me. So the defense attorney, of, of course, he contacts the authorities and he's like, hey, I just got this letter. So obviously he's still in Paris if he's seeing this article. And so the search begins. Only this time, they've appointed Henry Valeri to help find him. They have appointed his alias to help find himself. <laughs> if that is some Death Note shit, that is some light Yagami level bullshit. Yes, a hundred percent. They're like, we need to find this guy. You <laughs> help us look for him. It's just wild to I'm me. I'm screaming. I'm crying. I'm rolling on the floor. <laughs> I am a lot of things right now. It's what so the funny. Fuck? But finally, the 31st of October, Pechu gets recognized at a metro station, and that's how he's arrested. Somebody just sees him and recognizes him. He fucked it's up. So he should have he should have found someone to pin it on like real quick. Yeah. Well, so this is what he does. He after he's in prison, he claims that he was innocent and he had only ever killed enemies of France. He said that he had discovered the pile of bodies at his home back whenever he moved in, but just assumed that they were collaborators killed by members of a resistance network. So he never questioned it. They were just there when he got there, is what he's saying. 
he had nothing to do with them. The problem with this, the police found that Petwa had no friends in any of the major resistance groups. Some of the resistance groups that he spoke of had never even existed, and there was no proof of any kind that these were all things that he was associated with. So prosecutors eventually charged him with at least 27 murders for profit. And their estimate of what he made off of killing these people was about 200 million francs. When actually it was a lot more than that because they only said 27. Yeah. He's charged with the 27 murders and convicted of 26. At his trial though, he finally admits to killing more than 60 people, but he always maintained that they were all German, that they were all enemies of France. And he is finally, in 1946, beheaded at a guillotine, even though he had to wait a couple days because the guillotine wasn't working, but he finally goes down. And that is the story of Marcel Pechou. Leave it to France to still be using a fucking guillotine during World War II. <laughs> They're brutal shit. But also, how hilarious is that? Sorry, we have to oil up the guillotine. You gotta wait. The blade's too blunt. We Like, it might not cut it off in one foul swoop, so. I see, I like to think of it as one big show where, like, they brought him out. You know, there's a big crowd. There's music playing, like, dun, 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 or whatever. Yeah. And they got the executioner with his fucking black mask on and they pull the thing and then it doesn't work. And you're like, oh shit. And then you have the IT crew fidgeting with it for like 30 minutes. They're like, um, sorry, sorry, people. We might have to do this tomorrow. And everybody's like, oh. Like, what, when, when, you mean it, when you mean it doesn't work, you mean like it, it, the blade won't fall? Yeah. Okay. Because in my mind, it not working is it only severed like half the neck and they have oh, to like pull no. it up again do a second time and they're like oh, it's like- not quite through we're sorry guys we gotta pull it up again <laughs> See, that's a whole other level of cool justice that i'm behind but no it just wasn't falling it wasn't working i like how america was all like wow guillotine's so fucked up we're just gonna hang people way more humane like right. what I would much rather have my head cut off than hung. Are you shitting me right now? Like, because if your neck doesn't break on that first, you're fucked. Like, that's going to be a miserable death. Miserable, Mm -hmm. miserable. Oh, my God. When was the guillotine outlawed? Hashtag, is it still illegal in France? I don't know why I said Uh, hashtag, but I, you know. Here we go. When was the guillotine outlawed? September 1981 is when it was outlawed in In France. In France? Wow, the fucking 80s. The guillotine was still used in the 70s in France. Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, apparently so. Thank until you for the it wasn't officially outlawed until September of 1981. That's what history.com says, and I trust them. <laughs> and I trust history.com and their ancient aliens. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, this this story is the first time I've ever used Wikipedia because I never want to blatantly pull shit that isn't real. Like, parts of this story, I was like, there's no way that this is fucking true. And I went and checked the source. And it is. And it's so crazy. Like, the fact that more people don't know about this guy just blows my mind because what a story he's just literally a crazy person with a medical degree after eight months who's just killing people and stealing their shit it's buck wild to me i can't believe he was mayor 
Yeah, and he was mayor. <laughs> could you like imagine? <laughs> could you imagine like the local mayor like ten years from now being arrested for this? It reminds me a little bit of um the my strange addiction thing I showed you about the like coffee enemas. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, if you want to if you guys want to watch My Strange Addiction on Hulu right now, there's this bug wild episode about coffee enemas. That's a fucking thing apparently. But anyways, I watched a couple more episodes after that, and there was one episode about a girl who was addicted to butt injections, the illegal butt injections. Yeah, yeah, like her yeah. friend was also addicted to it and was insanely like, well, like her, she had been in it for a while well, and her, almost died. Her friend got sick from it and almost died yeah. because of the fucking chemicals they're injecting in you. The actual shit. I can't believe these girls go to hotel rooms and pay money to get like fucked up injections of Lord knows what into their ass. Yeah. Like I can't believe it. Her friend's ass was like, woo! Oh my god, I believe it. Like she looked completely normal and then all of a sudden you got to the booty area and it was like It was its own living creature. Yeah. It had a mind of its own. Like, they injected a full functioning brain into that ass. Yeah. Like it, that thing it was had gonna, a little bit of an orbit going on. That thing was insane. It was going to pop off and start walking on its own. Like, yeah. it was, I had never seen anything like it. I was like, huh. I've seen big booties before, but damn. Doctors suck. Some of them are good, <laughs> but a lot of them really fucking suck. And I hope that your doctor is a good doctor. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. This has been Corn on the Macabre, and uh, keep it creepy. Keep it creepy. Music by freestockmusic.com. For blog posts showing visuals for each episode, you can find our blog at cotmpodcast.com. If you'd like to help support us and receive discounts and loyalty rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash We record every episode live Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv slash thetigerwizard. If you can't find us on your favorite podcast app or site, please let us know and we'll fix that. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates on episodes, blog posts, and special events. And don't forget, keep it creepy.